The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. It's going to be hanging out in Luke 24. So if you want to open up your phones, your Bibles, if you just want to listen along, you're welcome to. But uh, it starts off, Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They had found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and then on the third day be rose again from the dead. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the woman because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, ran up to the tomb Bending over, he took, he saw the strips of linen lying there, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father God, oftentimes as Christians, we can be wondering what happened, wondering what your plan is. Lord, we pray that as we encounter your story, as we encounter your resurrection, your life, Lord, that our faith is again placed on the firm foundation of who you are, who you showed yourself to be in Christ, and who you are calling us to be. God, we say that it's all in your son's precious name. Amen. So Easter is a celebration. It's a time where we as Christians say this is the ultimate victory for our God. But Easter morning, for the original disciples, for his original followers, those women we just read, Easter didn't start out that way. In fact, Easter started out fairly gloomy. Easter kind of started out like this morning, right? We woke up and it was overcast and it was windy. And it was like, eh. That's what it was like for them, but on steroids. You see, their friend, their teacher, their mentor had died. And for any of us who have ever had to wake up the day after or the day after that of someone that we love passing away, that acute hurt might be gone but there is this deep longing, this numbness, this gray haze that just hangs over life when we encounter death. That's what Easter was like for the original disciples. That's what Easter was like for this first encounter we have with Jesus, this first encounter that maybe something different was happening. And I do find it fairly ironic that it's the women who get it right, right? The guys are sulking. That's what's happened at this point, right? The guys who've been following Jesus along, who had said, this was going to be our champion. This was going to be our Messiah. This was going to be our hero. They're literally sulking by themselves. It's the women who had been following Jesus. In fact, in Luke's account, what we hear is that these are the women who have been financially supporting Jesus out of their own means. It's the only time in scripture that it talks about who's financially funding what Jesus is doing. And it's this group of women. And they're not super rich. It's not like these are princesses and heiresses. These are just normal folks who believed in what God was doing and says, hey, we want to invest in this. They loved Jesus. They cared for Jesus. 
And so even after his death, they still care about him. They still love him, and they want to find a way to show that love. And so they're heading off to the tomb with spices that you would have for someone who died to care for their body. They love him, and they're doing something. But it's at that point in the story that it starts to turn, right? It goes from gloom to confusion because they show up, and what we find in the Matthew account is they're having a discussion of like, oh my gosh, there's this massive stone in front of the tomb. How are we going to move it? But the stone's gone. The stone's moved. They show up and the body's gone. And this is really important because what we're going to see over and over and over again, that the body of Jesus ends up being the emphasis of the story of Easter. Right? His body's gone. And these two angels show up. And like whenever an angel shows up in scripture, people freak out, right? Since their bodies gleamed like lightning. So if you can imagine literally an embodiment of lightning standing before you, I'd be a little terrified too. So I don't disrespect the woman in that, right? And they're like, why do you look for the living among the dead? He has risen. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Alleluia, right? Something different had happened. Something had changed in the story. And so the women run back to the guys who were supposed to be following Jesus, to the original disciples, and like men all across the world, they don't believe the woman, right? They're like, this seems like nonsense. This really didn't happen, right? But thankfully, God is a gracious God, and he doesn't always smack men upside the heads quite as hard as we deserve. Peter runs off, and he's like, huh, the tomb is empty. Something is happening here. First encounter is the women. The second encounter with Jesus starts in verse 13 in verse 24, and it says, Now that same day, two of them, two of the disciples of Jesus, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So this is a long walk, right? Seven miles walking. You're going to take some breaks. You're talking, you know, three, four hours to get there. And they were talking with about everything that had happened. They were talking about all their hopes, all their dreams. They had believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the promised hero in the Old Testament. But they had an idea of what that hero was supposed to be like. He was going to come in power. He was going to come with authority. But Jesus came humble and meek. And eventually those with power decided they didn't want him around anymore. And so the powerful killed Jesus, right? And as they talked about, this, about these things, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, I love this part of Jesus, right? At this point, post-Easter, Jesus is just having fun with people. And you see this over and over again. All the encounters, he kind of has this like wink and a nod he does with people, right? He's victorious. He's won. And he asked them, well, what are you discussing as you walk along? And they stood, their faces downcast. They're still gloomy. One of them named Cleopas said, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and don't know the things that have happened over these past days? Well, what things, Jesus asked. Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hopes that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They knew Jesus was a prophet. But if you know anything about the prophets in the Old Testament, most of them died. 
Most of them were killed by people with power. So the idea that another prophet had come along and that those with power rejected him, that wasn't anything new, right? That was almost to be expected. But the Messiah, the hero, he wasn't supposed to die. He wasn't supposed to lose to the powerful. He was supposed to raise up the meek. He was supposed to raise up those who had been oppressed. And so they had put their hope in him, but, but he had died. And what is more, they go on, this took place on the third day. Now, in addition, some of our women have amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but they didn't find his body. Again, his body's a big deal here. They came and told us what they had seen, a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they didn't see. And then he, this is Jesus, said to them, how foolish are you? How slow of hearts to believe. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And then Jesus begins what I can only imagine is the most epic Bible study in the history of Bible studies, right? Have you ever been to a Bible study and someone's just speaking? You're like, that totally makes sense. Jesus leads a Bible study, right? He says, and then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus starts telling the story of God. God being a good God. God creating things to be good. God creating people to steward and to shepherd that creation. And then we rebel, right? We're in the garden. We turn our backs on God and then everything breaks down. Our relationship with God breaks down. Our relationship with each other breaks down. Our relationship with the world breaks down. That's what sin does. All sin knows how to do is destroy. But God had a plan. God was going to take on all the sin, all the brokenness, all the times that you or I deserve to be punished. And he says, you know what? This eye for an eye thing, a tooth for a tooth, it leaves all of us blind. It leaves all of us deaf, right? Because you hurt me, I hurt you back. It's a cycle. And he goes, I want to end that cycle. And he says, and this was always the plan. And I have to believe one of the scriptures he talked about was from Isaiah 53. And to give you an idea that Jesus didn't just show up and do this sacrifice thing, Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus. 700 years. That's longer than the United States has been around, right? And if you read through the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, you have this text about the Messiah. Isaiah 53, 3, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one who men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. But surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. You see, we all like sheep had gone astray. Each of us had turned to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity and sin of us all. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. Let's talk about Jesus. 
It's talking about Jesus having to die, taking on all the punishment, all the hurt, right? But Isaiah doesn't stop there. Isaiah 53 goes on and it says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And through him, the Lord will make his, off, his life an offering, a guilt offering. But he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And he will bear the iniquities and he will intercede for the rebels. 700 years before Jesus shows up, the prophet Isaiah said, guys, the Messiah is going to have to die, but even death isn't going to hold him. And this isn't just a spiritual victory, right? And that's why the body is so important. Because we could say, well, maybe he was a ghost. Maybe he's just in the afterlife and he's the spiritual thing. But no, scripture goes out of its way to say he has a body. In fact, that's the last section of Luke. Jesus tells the story of who he is. Then he ends up back with his disciples. And while these two were reporting back, now mind you, this is kind of funny. It's evening. They walk the seven miles to Emmaus. They have dinner. And then they realize it's Jesus they're talking to. So they book it back to Jerusalem, right? Seven miles sprinting to let the disciples know, hey, no, he's really back, right? They're finally on board with the woman claim, you know, 12 hours ago, because that's about the delay between men and women and, you know, understanding things. Anyway, so they get back. And while they were still talking, the disciples about this, Jesus stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking he was a ghost. But he said to them, why are you so troubled? Why do you have doubts in your mind? Look at my hands and feet. It is I. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they did not believe him because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have something to eat? Right? Ghosts don't eat. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And again, he said, everything had to happen this way in the law and the prophets. Then he opened their minds to scripture so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what was written. The Christ will suffer and will rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. He says, and you will be my witnesses. And I'm going to send y'all with what my father has promised. Because I got a body. Because I defeated death. Why is that such a big deal? Because death is the worst thing that can happen. Right? Death is the most final thing that can happen. There's all kinds of hurt in this world. There's all kinds of brokenness. But death is the ultimate fruit of that brokenness. And so if he couldn't conquer death, it didn't matter about everything else. Because what? The two things guaranteed in life, death and taxes, right? If he can't take out death, then anything else that he can promise, anything else that he can offer is just a temporary solution. A temporary solve, which is one day going to be removed by death. But he says, no, guys. I'll conquer that. And then all that other stuff, all that other muck, all that other hurt, he goes, I can conquer that too. See, the reason why we celebrate Easter 
the reason why we put all of our eggs in the resurrection is because if our God can do that, our God can handle everything else. And our God wants to handle everything else. Post-resurrection, again and again and again, you hear Jesus, you hear God, you hear the Holy Spirit sending out his people and saying, in the same way that the Father has sent me, now I am sending y'all. In the same way that everywhere Jesus went, things got better, he says, now I am sending you out so things can get better. I am sending you out to be ambassadors of love, to be ambassadors of divine favor, to start to mend up the relationship between God and people and people and people and people and the world. And the reason why we can be so confident of that is because of his resurrection. That's why we say, Alleluia, God rocks, right? That's why we boast in our Lord. That literally is what Alleluia means. It means to boast in something. It means to put your hope and your trust in something. Because if we have that as our foundation, if God was willing to go to that length to have a relationship with us, to put the world back together, he's going to give us everything else as well. See, that's why we celebrate Easter. That's why the resurrection is such a big deal, because it gives us confidence in a physical world. It gives us the promise that his light and his life is going to be able to conquer anything that gets in God's way. It's going to mend it back up. It's going to heal it back up. So if you hear nothing else today, Know that the foundation of who Jesus is, it was always the plan, right? Because we all have plans, we all have ideas of what we want to see happen, and sometimes it doesn't work out that way, just like it did for the disciples. They thought they knew what kind of Messiah they wanted, but the Messiah that God had intended for them was so much more powerful, so much more active, so much more beautiful than anything they could have imagined, and that God wants a relationship with you. That God has plans for you to send y'all out to be difference makers and peacemakers, kingdom workers, to be agents and sons and daughters of a loving father. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We're going to experience God in a couple different ways. We're going to have communion in a moment. And communion is literally community union where we connect to each other, but it's also divine union. It's what we call a sacrament, a sacred moment where God says, I am going to pierce the veil between heaven and earth. I'm going to come and do life with you and do life for you. We all get to enter into the story of a God who dies for us, but also a God who lives for us. And we're going to pray. And then we're going to be sent out in that firm foundation, knowing that we have a God who kicked death in the teeth. He's going to kick everything else that doesn't align with his love and his beauty in the teeth as well. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father God, you are a God who fights for his people. You are a God of life. You are a God who, despite our own rebellion, you fight for us and then welcome us into the family. Lord, we pray for that confidence. We pray for that celebration. We pray for that connection to you and to each other, and to our world. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.